Welcome back to Night Swims, a podcast hosted oh, by two idiots who think they know everything about mysteries, conspiracies, and strange phenomena. Uh, with me is Douglas. Hey. And longtime listener, first time podcaster, Drew Barnett. And his child. How's it going? Whoa. Yep, that's right. We're here. We're in the building. Sawyer uh, is 14 months old. He doesn't have too much to say. Well, let's see if he has well, he's, he's having a bottle right yes, now. Yes, he's, he's drinking But some we're hoping that he'll be more talkative in the future. And he might be. It'll be funny to look back on when he's like 16 months or something. Yeah, that's, that's soon because he'll understand it by then. Yeah. Totally. Did he start talking like 15 months? Yeah. Uh, anywhere from a year to two years. Like, a lot of them start. I started at five, so it's no big deal. Full sentences? It, it de- well, no, it depends on the, uh, on the baby. When I was a year old, my mom and family have told me that I stood at the door waiting for my family members to get to my birthday party going, it's a party! <laughs> so. It's a party. And I'm sure a party did ensue. This dude's a party, right? Douglas, if yes. you're going to talk, please talk into the microphone. Well, I, it's kind of hard. They're having to well, share. Sit right next to him. Get close. Yeah. So, uh, Drew, you being such an avid listener of Night Swims, what's your favorite episode we've ever done? Episode number... No, I was actually going to say 53, though. And what is that about? It's about uh, mysteries, conspiracies, and strange phenomena. Just like most of the episodes of Night Swims are. Episode 53 is about the Mandela effect. And the Mandela effect is very... uh, very interesting. It's very. It's, it has to do with Nelson Mandela. Yep. And you know That's how it. everybody remembered one thing, and that didn't happen. Yeah. Is that stuff good, Sawyer? <laughs> he's just going to town on it. Well, he's a baby, so <laughs> he's gonna do that. Hey. So what? What? What are some of your favorite mysteries, conspiracies, or strange phenomena? Um, the Black Dahlia, for mm-hmm. one. That's a That's, good one. that's a good one. Um. The Bermuda Triangle, oh, that's the mm-hmm. first one. and uh, yeah, very memorable one. And, and uh, I think those are the ones that really stick out to me the most. That's good. And I have a question for you. I like to ask all of our guests uh, when we get on here. So back in the day, Toys R Us held a sweepstakes where you would have five minutes, uh, where if you won, sorry, you would have five minutes in the store to grab whatever you want. How would you maximize your efficiency if you won said sweepstakes? So not what would I grab, but how would I maximize my efficiency? Yes. Hmm. I feel like there's an answer you're looking for. No, I, that, it's really just personal like, no? okay. preference. Um, do I have any aid, or is it just me? It's just you. Um, well, I guess you can bring him if you want, but I don't know how much help yeah. he would be. Well, he's well, really trying to grab the mic, yeah. so yeah. If, he, if he had these hands on, to going down the aisle. He's dead set on that microphone. Um. No, I think. Do you have an opinion? Little what man? are your thoughts? Um, mm, not yet. <laughs> I uh, I think that the most efficient way to do it would be to get a shopping cart and put one foot on that little bar down beneath the back set of wheels and uh, scoot myself along, starting out at the Star Wars aisle. Good call. And then going to the bicycles, because mm. I can sell those for a decent little profit, uh, putting those wherever I can, and um, then making my way to the video game section. That's nice. Possibly Transformers, depending on my age range yes. at the time of yeah. doing this. Did he just spill baby milk on the yeah, couch? Yeah, kind of squirted. 
a little bit. Whoa, we'll just wait till he, what he really likes to do is uh, take the bottle and turn it upside down and just pour it out. Oh. And then when I say Sawyer, stop, he says, nah, which is how he says nasty. And I say, yes, that is nasty. And usually he proceeds to look me square in the eyes and continue Kick to it. do it. Yeah. Oh, now his, uh, he's trying to wrap his foot with the cord. Remind me not to use that blanket. <laughs> well, it didn't get on the blanket. Oh, okay, that's I, good. I, I think a couple couch. drops of uh, formula are going to So, okay, up. that's a pretty good way to maximize efficiency. And um, before we continue on the topic, I believe, Douglas, there's a sound you have specifically for Sawyer. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I, do, uh, I got this new sound today just for Sawyer. Uh, let's see how he reacts to it. There's the baby. There he is. He didn't like that. Now he looks a little <laughs> alarmed. <laughs> That's good. Huh. It's just on the bottle. It's, I know. I know. He's focused on the bottle. Well, he's, he's also staring, very tired. He is tired. At me. We've interrupted his uh, time, but too bad for him. He's going to suck this shit up and uh, power through. Yeah. He is a trooper. He's a little baller. So, as you know, uh, with every uncovered we do, I like to do a murder mystery or a disappearance or something like that. You do? And today I have a disappearance. And in memory of Sawyer, uh, it's about some children disappearing. In memory of Sawyer? In memory. He, no, is, it, he is still... In honor. Yeah. In honor. Sorry. In, in honor, honor of Sawyer. In honor much, of you. Much more. All right. No need to flip me off, Sawyer. In honor of Sawyer, I decided to do the Sawyer Children Disappearance. Have any of you ever heard of this? I have not. No. Oh, Sawyer raising. You hit, did you raise your hand? Have you? Are you going to give Sawyer a bowl cut? No, no, I'm not. I think every kid has to have a. He should have a mullet. He's yeah, no, yeah. he's gonna have a mullet, and I'm gonna shave the sides up and mohawk. like carve a lightning bolt into the side. Oh my god, no! I and was then, kidding. You know, he's gonna look called, like white gonna trash. Be, no, he's gonna be called white lightning. And then uh, on his first day of kindergarten or preschool, he's gonna stroll him with that mullet, and he's also gonna be wearing blue jeans with nothing. Under, I mean, not blue jeans, uh, overalls with nothing underneath, and no shoes and no socks, and possibly if they have them, a small pair of Pit Viper. Sunglasses, uh, and then after like that, modern day Huckleberry Finn. He's gonna look like that, I'm gonna trailer trash. Yeah. yeah, no, that's the whole point uh, for his first day, and then he's gonna come in the next day looking like a little model, and his but teachers are gonna be like, he's still gonna have the mullet. No, no, that's when that's when you just give him a nice little crew cut so oh, he looks professional. Okay. I see. Um, and then his teachers are gonna be very confused, and then I'm gonna let them meet the real us, which are just a couple of fun loving. High octane, guy. awesome guys. Yeah. <laughs> He's grabbing the mic. He's a natural. He's going to grow up and be a podcaster, a radio host. That's or, cool. I'd like to have him back in a year from now and then monitor his growth via podcast. He'll have a lot more to say. I know. That's what I'm excited about Especially when he's talking. Especially if he's anything like me. And not just sitting there drinking his bottle. Well, so and if there's anything else y'all would like to talk about, would you like to get? Unless there's anything else you'd like to talk about, is would you like me to get into the uh, the topic? Talk. Why don't you talk to Sawyer like a baby? What's what's good, baby? It's, it's not no like baby talk. I don't like baby talk. Just do it. That's so it's so weird to talk to Why? a baby like that and then talk to like animals like that as well. Why? Cause it's just try it. He's just he's Maybe a you like it. He's a baby. He doesn't he talk like baby. that, so he's not gonna. If I go like, "Oh my god, hey yo," that what does that do? That does nothing. Let's uh, just do it and let's see what he does. Oh my god, hello Sawyer. Wow, that was, that's so embarrassing. He does nothing. Why did you do that? Shut up. <laughs> Anyways, so <clears throat> here's a quick synopsis of the Sauter children disappearance on Christmas Eve, December twenty fourth. 
On Christmas Eve, 1945, a fire destroyed the Sodder home in Fayetteville, West Virginia, and at the time, it was occupied by George Sodder, his wife Jenny, and nine of their ten children. During the fire, uh, George, Jenny, and four of the nine children escaped. The bodies of the other five children have never been found. The Sodders believed for the rest of their lives that the five children went missing. And survived. Uh, yeah, did they did they find um did they find like teeth or anything? Did they did they look? Let's go into it and find out. Isn't this also a haunting? No. There's no haunting? No, no. Kinda wanted a haunting. A little bit of background information. Uh George Sodder was born with the name Giorgio Sodu in Tula, Sardinia, Italy in eighteen ninety five. He immigrated to the US thirteen uh, he immigrated to the United States 13 years later with an older brother who went back home as soon as both he and George had cleared customs at Ellis Island. For the rest of his life, George, as he came to be known, would not talk much about why he had left his homeland. Sauter eventually found work on the railroads in Pennsylvania, carrying water and other supplies to workers. After a few years, he took more permanent work as a driver in Smithers, West Virginia. After a few more years, he started his own trucking company, at first hauling fill dirt to construction sites and later hauling coal that was mined in the region. Jenny Cipriani, a storekeeper's daughter in Smithers, who had also immigrated from Italy, became George's wife. What? This guy won't sit still, man. I know. A little impatient. Andrew's feet do smell like dog. Uh, I, would, I would just like to clarify. Andrew, oh, okay, well, what? I, I can, no, I can oh, I Drew's can, feet. I can Drew's feet. I, yeah, and I knew I knew my I knew my socks kind of smelled like. Dog. You have something to say, little man? Because like my feet do too. Oh, that sounded disgusting in the headphones. <laughs> it's just the cup. So the couple settled outside nearby Fayetteville, which had a large population of Italian immigrants, in a two-story timber frame house two miles north of town. In 1923, they had their first of their ten children, uh, and as George's business prospered, Good they Catholics. became. Yeah, they became one of the most respected middle-class families around in the words of one local official. However, George had strong opinions about many subjects and was not shy about expressing them, sometimes alienating people. In particular, his strident opposition to Benito Mussolini had led to some strong arguments with other members of the immigrant community. Uh, The last of the Sauter children, Sylvia, was born in 1943. By then, their second oldest son, Joe, had left home to serve in the military. And the following year, Mussolini was deposed and executed. Uh, however, George's criticisms of the late dictator had left some hard feelings. In October 1945, a visiting life insurance salesman, after being rebuffed... What? What are you doing? I was trying to imitate him drinking the bottle with the mic. <laughs> Thank you for that. You're welcome. Uh, oh, sorry, you could probably hear all that. Yes, I can. Uh, a, a visiting life insurance salesman, after being rebuffed, warge, warned jo- George that his house would go up in smoke and your children are going to be destroyed, attributing this all to the dirty remarks you have been making about Mussolini. Quote the dirty remarks you have been making about Mussolini. Um, so this is about Mussolini now. I don't, I guess. Um, so so uh, they didn't like that he opposed Mussolini? Maybe it's because he was like so harsh about it. Well, know. you know Mussolini. Yeah, I'm aware who Mussolini. I, I was just making sure he's. I mean, I feel yeah, like yeah, I feel yeah. like a lot of people should pretty strongly oppose. I don't know. Uh, another there's visitor. There's definitely, there's Hitler sympathizers. And, yeah, yeah. Um, but I don't. I, I just Jackson. didn't. I just don't feel like there would be that many people uh, that were really into Mussolini leaving Italy and then coming to a country that directly 
and vehemently opposed Mussolini. I just feel like that's kind of backwards. I yeah. agree with Sawyer's point he's making. Yeah, he is. Uh, I I think he's kind of resounding what Who, I'm saying. What's your le- is is Mussolini y'all's least favorite uh, fascist? No, no second. Second favorite. Second favorite. Okay. Second yeah. least favorite. What's, yeah. What's your first? Uh, Hitler's definitely my least favorite. He's he's pretty rotten. So he's in he's in last place. Yes. Okay. Yes. Cool. 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 Another visitor to the house, uh, ostensibly seeking work, took the occasion to go around to the back and warn George that a pair of fuse boxes would cause a fire someday. Uh, George was puzzled by the observation since he had just had the house rewired when an electric stove was installed, and the local electric company had said afterwards it was safe. In the weeks before that Christmas that year, George's older sons had also noticed a strange car parked along the main highway through town, its occupants watching the younger daughter children as they returned home from school. So, oh, hold on, let me. So, who who said something about the electric? Uh, just like someone like looking for work. Oh. Um. What are you trying to do there, little buddy? Uh, okay, mission accomplished. Nice. Um. So. You guys are so asking a lot it, of questions for just the background part of the topic. Well, yeah, I mean, I want to be informed. Also, want to know. Is it solder or solder. stodder? It's solder. S O D D E R. Okay, you know, just sometimes. And that's an Italian name. No, no, his. He changed his yeah, name. Right. His original name was Giorgio Sodu, and he changed it to George Solder. So the Sodders. Yeah. What? what? Nothing. No. Mm-hmm. So the Sodders celebrated Christmas Eve. Er, the Sodders celebrated on Christmas Eve, 1945, and Marion, the oldest daughter, had been working at a dime store in downtown Fayetteville, and she surprised three of her younger sisters, Martha, Jenny, and Betty, with new toys she had bought for them there as gifts. The younger children were so excited they asked their mother if they could stay up past what would have been their usual bedtime. At 10 p.m., Jenny told them they could stay up a little later as long as the two oldest boys were, who were still awake, Maurice and Louis, remembered to put the cows in and feed the chickens before going to bed themselves. George and the two oldest uh, boys, John and George Jr., who had spent the day working with their father, were already asleep. He likes That's story. a good point. Uh, after reminding the children of those remaining chores, she took Sylvia upstairs with her and went to bed together. The telephone rang at 12.30 a.m. Yeah. Now he's got a lot to say. 12.30 a.m.? Yeah. And now, of course, this is the time he's talking. He solved it already. Yeah? He knows where these kids are at. Oh. Well, their bodies. <laughs> yeah, they're definitely dead. We'll see. Well, yeah, okay, get, keep going. Uh, so the telephone rang at 12.30 a.m., and Jenny woke and went downstairs to answer it. The caller was a woman whose voice she did not recognize, asking for a name she was not familiar with, with the sound of laughter and clinking glasses in the background. <laughs> that's, that was a, that's, yeah. That's, that was a good example. Uh, the caller, uh, where was it? Oh, Jenny told the caller she had reached a wrong number and mm-hmm. later later recalling the woman's weird laugh. Sawyer? Mm-hmm. Perfect. That's so weird. Jenny hung up <laughs> and returned to bed. As she did, she noticed the lights were still on and the curtains were not drawn, two things the children normally attended to when they stayed up later than their parents. Marion had fallen asleep on the living room couch, so Jenny assumed the other children who had stayed up later had gone back up to the attic where they slept. She closed the curtains, turned out the lights, and returned to bed. At 1 a.m., Jenny was awake, again awakened by a sound of an object hitting the house's roof with a loud bang then a rolling noise. After hearing nothing further, she went back to sleep. After another half hour, she woke up again smelling smoke. 
When she got up again, she found that the room George used for his office was on fire around the telephone line and fuse box. Uh, Jenny woke him, and he in turn woke his older sons. Both parents and four of their children, Mary and Sylvia, John and George Jr., escaped the house. They frantically yelled to the children upstairs but heard no response. They could not go up there as the stairway itself was already aflame. John said in his first police interview after the fire that he went up to the attic to alert his siblings sleeping there, though he later changed his story to say that he that he only called up there and did not actually see them. Thank you. What? I think they were already out of the house. Uh, they, I mean, they could have been, but if the stairs are already aflame... Um, what if they were never in the house? The or what if they had been taken earlier? Yeah. This could be a... Like you said that they their like bodies were never found. Yeah. But that could have been like, I guess, like an abduction before the fire even started. We'll see. Possibly we'll they could see. have they could have been in the early uh, human. Yeah, because we're barely in a topic. Or, That's why I'm saying we'll see. Human trafficking ring is what I was going. Yeah. Oh yeah. They could have, they could have been trafficked. Efforts to find aid and rescue the children were unexpectedly complicated. The phone did not work, so Marion ran to a neighbor's to call the fire department. A driver on the nearby road had seen the flames and called from a nearby tavern. They too were unsuccessful either because they could not reach the operator or because the phone there turned out to be broken. Either the neighbor or, or the mo- passing motorist was eventually successful in reaching the fire department from another phone in the center of town. George barefoot climbed to the wall and broke open an attic window, cutting his arm in the process. He and his sons intended to use a ladder to the attic to rescue the other children but it was not in its usual spot resting against the house and cannot be found anywhere nearby. What are you doing, Sawyer? What is he doing? He's like blowing on his body. <laughs> yeah, I've, that's new to me. I haven't... Like, <laughs> yeah. Oh, I heard that. Yeah, I haven't, I haven't experienced him do that before. He's just excited. Uh, a water barrel that could have been used to extinguish the fire was frozen solid. God damn it, Drew. Nice. What What Real do you good. mean nice? He yawned first. Doug actually yawned before me, and then I yawned, and then I just yawned again, and now it's hit you. Great. You. You know who hasn't yawned? Sawyer. Arguably a, the most tired of he's us. He's a baby. Yeah, but he's got that second wind. <laughs> the infamous second wind. George oh. then tried to pull both of the trucks he used in his business up to the house and use them to climb to the attic window, but neither of them would start despite having worked perfectly during the previous day. Frustrated, the six Sodders who had escaped had no choice but to watch the house burn down and collapse over the next 45 minutes. They assumed the other five children had perished in the blaze. The fire department, low on manpower due to the war and relying on individual firefighters to call each other, did not respond until later that morning. What do you got? No? No what? Any thoughts? What you, what you, no, I know you were making a good point. He was saying hot, but uh, sorry, your your bottle, your bottle's hot not like hot. the fire. Hot, hot, hot. yeah, hot. the fire is hot. Hot, is the fire hot? Hot, or is it nasty? Is it nasty? Is it nasty? This nasty. isn't a smart baby. Is it hot or is it nasty? Which one is it? Don't give me that look. It's oh, you think you're so cute and mixed, special with your teeth. He mixed uh, nasty and hot. Yeah. Ooh, oh. Shoot. 
Yeah, you tell him. You, you don't let Jackson talk. To He's getting sassy way. with me. You don't let Jackson yeah. talk. Yeah. 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 It's hot. It the hot. fire was hot. And, and that's how they died. Ha ha. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. That's good stuff. You want a race car? Did you pause it? No, yeah. I was just on my uh, laptop. Yeah. Yeah, that is where Drew hit you. <laughs> we, we, we bonked our head there one time. <laughs> so, yes, it's hot. We get it. I Gosh. think now he might be doing monkey. You doing monkey? What does monkey say? <laughs> he, he did look alarmed by your intense... Mo- oh, now he's smiling. I didn't mean he came over here to do his monkey impression. Is he, is he being silly? <laughs> no, Savannah will be here soon. All right, let's continue. So, Chief F.J. Morris said the next day that the already slow response was further hampered by his inability to drive the fire truck, requiring that he wait until someone who could drive was available. The what firefighter. Yeah, what's up with that? I'm F.J., man. You know how he is. Uh, the Frederick firefighters. Jorgensen. Yep. <laughs> what a douche. The firefighters, one of whom was a brother of Jenny's, could do little but look through the ashes that were left in the Sodders' basement. By 10 a.m., Morris told the Sodders that they had not found any bones as... That's good. I'm sorry. He's crying. Well, but so did they sad. look for teeth? I'm, I'm asking about that specifically because children's teeth are very small. I don't know. Um, d- but like bone... Oh, yeah, but wait, hold on, on how hold on, got. hold I'm, on. I'm holding. Okay, so, uh, they didn't find any bones, as might have been expected if the children had been in the house as it burned. According to another account, they did find a few bone fragments and internal organs, but chose not to tell the family. It has also been noted by modern fire professionals that their search was cursory at best. Nevertheless, Morris believed that the five children unaccounted for had died in the fire, suggesting that it had been hot enough to burn their bodies completely. See? But... That's a hot fire. Wow, that is, what, three yawns in a row for you after you started talking to some macaroni? I'm As George sorry. would say, he probably would say smackaroni. I'm sorry. I'm, I didn't Freaking George. realize that uh, I'd be so tired. I think Sawyer's tiredness is rubbing off on me. He's very sleepy. I mean, he looks pretty awake right now. Yeah, but he's... Uh, come over here, Sawyer? No, Douglas looks creepy. Morris told George to leave the site undisturbed so that the state mar- fire marshal's office could conduct a more thorough investigation. However, after four days, George and his wife would not bear the site anymore, so he bulldozed five feet of dirt over the site with the intention of converting it to a memorial garden for the lost children. A local coroner convened an inquest the next day, which held that the fire was an accident caused by faulty wiring. I'm gonna do. I'm gonna do this. Yeah, it helps me. Um, among the jurors was the man who had threatened George that his house would be burned down and his children destroyed in rep- retribution for his anti-Mussolini remarks. Death certificates for the five children were issued December 30th. The local newspaper contradicted itself, stating that all the bodies had been found, but then later in the same story reporting that only one part of one body was recovered. George and Jenny were too grief-stricken to attend the funeral on January 2nd, 1946, although their surviving children did. Not long afterward, as they began to rebuild their lives, the starters started to question all the official findings about the fire. They wondered why, if it had been caused by an electrical problem, the family's Christmas lights had remained on throughout the fire's early stages when the power should have gone out. They then found the ladder 
that had been missing from the side of the house on the night of the fire at the bottom of an embankment 75 feet away. A telephone repairman told the Sodders that the house's phone line had not been burned uh, through in the fire, as they had initially thought, but cut by someone who had been willing and able to climb 14 feet up the pole and reach two feet away from it to do so. A man whom neighbors had seen stealing a block and tackle from the property around the time of the fire was identified and arrested. He admitted to the theft and claimed he had been the one who cut the phone line, thinking it was a power line, but denied having anything to do with the fire. However, no record identifying the suspect exists, and why he would have wanted to cut any utility lines to the solder house while stealing the block and tackle has never been explained. Jenny said that in 1968, or Jenny said in 1968 that if he had cut the power line, she and her husband, along with their other four children, would never have been able to make it out of the house. Jenny also had trouble accepting Morris's belief that all traces of the children's bodies had been burned completely in the fire. Many of the household appliances had been found still recognizable in the ash, along with fragments of the tin roof. She contrasted the results of the fire with a newspaper account of a similar house fire that she read around the same time that killed a family of seven. Skeletal remains of all the victims were reported to have been found in the case. Jenny burned small piles of animal bones to see if they would be, be completely consumed, and none ever were. An employee of a local crematorium she contacted told her that human bones remain even after bodies are burned at 2,000 degrees for two hours, far longer and hotter than the house fire could have been. Sodder's truck failure to start was also considered. George believed they had been tampered with, perhaps by the same man who stole the block and tackle and cut the phone lines. However, one of his son-in-laws told the Charleston Gazette Mail in 2013 that he had come to believe the Sodder and his sons might have in their haste to start the trucks, flooded the engines. Some accounts have suggested the wrong number phone call to the Sauter house might have also somehow been connected to the fire and disappearance of the children. However, investigators later located the woman who had made the call. She confirmed she had been, uh, it had been a wrong number on her part. What? He's showing me his fingernail. Yeah. I think they're definitely it. tampered with, and those bodies... Could not have just been completely destroyed in the in the in the brazing heat. I think someone there's abducted no them. Way. There's there's foul play. I think yeah. I think those children were probably not there. Um, yeah, they're either abducted or depending on I don't know what the after crime was like. Like the amount of time there could have been time to take the bodies out, I guess, or something. About to get over some su- subsequent developments. Yeah, um, yeah, because, yeah, you know, if anything, possibly, where did they live? Where did, Were they in town when they where they lived? Were they yeah, they lived in their home. Well, they yeah, but was their home, like, out in the country? Well, was no, it rural? Oh. It said they had cows and chickens. Yeah, okay, it was like so, a little farm. So I'm thinking I'm thinking there's probably woods around there. Yeah. But they, they also, they were able to go to a neighbor's house to call. Well, yeah, I'm sure. The night of the fire. I mean, rural areas, still have, you can still have neighbors. There was just probably a little more spread out. But let's say the kids escaped on their own. They run off into the woods. Uh, yeah. It's winter. What state are they in again? It's, uh, West Virginia. Yeah, I mean, they could have died out in the woods somewhere very easily. There was some, a piece of the ceiling fell on the ground. All right. Huh. Or maybe they were, ra- they were rescued by a pack of wolves going on with your woods theory. And now they're wolf children. I was thinking... Oh, they're probably dead now. They're probably really old. Well, no, I was just Unless, thinking that the wolves ate them in the first place. Well, wolves, you know, can pick up on trauma and stuff like that. They, You've seen the movies. They rescue kids. I have seen time. the movies. They are very smart creatures. I saw the gray. I saw that movie. 
with uh, Liam Neeson. Yeah, that the wolves didn't like him. Yeah. The wolves hated him in that movie. Well, he's a grown man. I'm talking children here. Let's throw yeah, Sawyer. Yeah, we're thinking like Mowgli. Okay, let's throw yeah. Sawyer at a wolf and see what happens. Just uh, Do you want to see a wolf get killed by a baby? Yeah, yeah that'd be kind of cool. Like it Sawyer would be kind of cool. Just, um, Sawyer has the death touch. Uh, he does. I watched him kill a grown attacker. With his bare hands. See, yeah, this guy I broke him, into our I once saw him take a shit when he was uh, sitting in our apartment. He did do that. Um, but yeah, no, this guy broke into our apartment one time. And uh, in fear, I cowered and threw Sawyer at him. And Sawyer landed at his feet. The guy laughed, like some kind of maniacal maniac laugh. And uh, Sawyer touched his pinky toe with his pointer finger on his left hand. And the guy instantly dropped dead. The police, doctors, firemen, the United States government said they'd never seen anything like it. Um, that was a really funny joke. Thank you for that, Drew. <laughs> yes, the fire is hot. We get it. No, I think he's just confirming my story. Oh. Yeah. Sounds like a lot. Sounds like ha is key code for a lot of things in Sawyer talk. Uh, it depends. You can tell when he's really saying hot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and now he's taking a panoramic photo of your crotch. He does take a lot of pictures. <laughs> so uh, as spring approached, the Sodders, as they had said they would, planted flowers in the soil bulldozed over the house. Jenny tended it carefully for the rest of her life. However, further developments in early 1946 reinforced the family's belief that the children were mem- mem- <laughs> that the children they were memorializing might in fact be alive somewhere. Evidence ver- merged, emerged, which supported their belief that the fire had not started in the electrical fault and was instead set deliberately. The driver of a bus that passed through Fayetteville late Christmas Eve said he had seen some people throwing balls of fire at the house. What? A f- warlocks. Like, like a Molotov, Lizards. but like from far away or something. Yeah. Or, yeah, or warlocks. A few months later, when the snow had melted, Sylvia found a small, hard, dark green rubber ball-like object in the brush nearby. George, recalling his wife's account of a loud thump on the roof before the fire, said it looked like a pineapple bomb, hand grenade, or some other incendiary device used in combat. The family later claimed that, contrary to the fire marshal's conclusion, the fire had started on the roof, although by then there was no way to prove it. Other witnesses claim to have seen the children themselves. One woman, who said to have been watching the fire from the road, said she had seen some of them peering out of a passing car while the house was burning. Another woman at a rest stop between Fayetteville and Charleston said she had served them breakfast the next morning and noted the presence of a car with a Florida license plate in the rest stop's parking lot as well. The Sodders hired a private investigator named C.C. Tinsley from the nearby town of Golly Bridge to look into the case. Tinsley learned that the insurance salesman who had threatened them with a fire a year before over George's anti-Mussolini sentiments had been on the coroner's jury that ruled the fire an accident and told this to the Sodders. He also learned of rumors around Fayetteville that that despite his report to the Sodders that no remains had been found in the ashes, Morris had found a heart, which he later packed into a metal box and secretly married. Buried. What? Buried. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) That Uh, was taking, yeah. (laughs) Morris had apparently confessed this to a local minister who confirmed it to George. George and Tinsley went to Morris... Well, that is not supposed to happen. Uh, and confronted him with this news. Morris agreed to show the two where he had buried the metal box, and they dug it up. It took what they found inside the box to a local funeral director, who, after examining it, told them in reality it was fresh beef liver that had never been exposed to fire. 
Later, more rumors circulated around Fayetteville that Morris had afterwards admitted the box with the liver had indeed not come from the fire originally. He had supposedly placed it there in the hope that the Sodders would find it and be satisfied that the missing children had indeed died in the fire. Yep, beef liver and heart look nothing alike. Unless, I mean, do you think that he played with this beef liver? What is happening? Sawyer's playing with the soundboard. What you what you got, Sawyer? Just the first one he hit where it says that was the plan. <laughs> yeah. That seems like Mr. Morris uh, had a plan. Do you guys remember who Morris is? Yes. Okay. Mr. Morris. The fire chief. FJ. Yeah. Frederick Jorgensen. Yep. So George did not wait for reports of sightings to come in. Sometimes he made them himself. After seeing a girl in a magazine picture of young ballet dancers in New York City who looked like one of his missing daughters, Betty, he drove all the way to the girls' school where he repeated his repeated demands to see the girl himself were refused. He also tried, yeah. to inter- tried to interest the FBI in investigating what he considered a kidnapping. Director J. Edgar Hoover personally responded to his letters. He thinks it's a kidnapping. Yeah. Kidnapping, right. Yeah. Although I would like to be of service, he wrote, the matter related appears to be of local character and does not come within the investigative jurisdiction of this bureau. If the local authorities requested the bureau's assistance, he added, he would, of course, direct agents to assist. But the Fayetteville police and fire departments declined to do so. That's nasty. Is he spilling it again? That's right. That's nasty. That's nasty. That's right. That's nagging. That's right. I just flinged it. Jeez. Uh, he, so in August 1949, George was able to persuade Oscar Hunter, a, Os- a Washington, D.C. pathologist, to supervise a new search. Sawyer, please, just give me a little bit of time, man, then you can talk all you want. A Washington, D.C. pathologist to supervise a new search through the dirt at the house site. After a very <laughs> thorough search, artifacts including a dictionary that had belonged to the children and some coins were found. Several small bone fragments were unearthed, determined to have been human vertebrae. The bone fragments were sent to Marshall T. Newman, a specialist at the Smithsonian Institution. They were, Jeez, that scared me. They were confirmed to be lumbar vertebrae, all from the same person. Since the transverse recesses are fused... <laughs> Well, someone is excited. There's the baby. There is. <laughs> Do you want to go see Savannah? Go. Yeah. Come here. And we are rid of Sawyer. Yes. Oh, he wants well, to go to the tree. Don't say it like that. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> All right. If he's such a nuisance, then I'll go put him in the car. <laughs> you would leave your baby in the car? <laughs> no, jokes, people. Suck this, jokes. Sawyer. Jokes. <laughs> That's right, see. The rest of the audience. Oh, I got, I got one. I got one. Yeah. What do you joke? call... Wait, wait where, where, where were we in the story? Oh, um, they just found the children's bones. What? He, he's watches Deadpool. I do let him watch Deadpool. He also was watching Black Sails earlier, and there was a, a very... was not paying attention yeah. to that. Luckily, he wasn't. So, uh, the bone fragments, they were all confirmed to be the lumbar vertebrae from the same person. Since the transverse recesses are fused, the age of this individual at death should have been 16 or 17 years. 
uh, Newman's report said. The top limit of age should be about 22 since the centra, which normally fuse at 23, are still unfused. As we all know, Drew, the centra is the... I'm sorry, I was... I got it. I was not. The foot bones connected to the leg bone. It's, the, it's part of the leg lumbar vertebrae. Connected yeah. to the hip bone. Wait, maybe. Do you know bones, Sav? I mean, I was pre med for three years. What's a centra? Oh, what a brag. Jesus. Oh, okay. Well, go. No, no, no. Oh, you're, you're talking about the Nissan. The Nissan Centra. Oh. I don't know where that Oh, it says it right here. Yeah. Since the is Nissan Sentra, which the, normally fuse at 23, are still unfused. If you scroll down, there will probably be an ad. Oh, yeah, look at that yeah. right there. Uh, so thus, given this age range, it was not very likely that these bones were from any of the five oh. missing children, since the oldest, Maurice, had been 14 at the time. Although the report allowed the vertebrae of a boy, his age sometimes were advanced enough to appear to be at the lower end of the range. Newman added that the bone showed no sign of exposure to flame, Further, he agreed that it was very strange that those bones were the only ones found, since a wood fire of such short duration should have left full skeletons of all the children behind. So there were bones where the fire took place and where they made, like, the plot, but it wasn't any of their kids' bones, which is weird. Yeah, I find that odd. It almost seems like they could have been dun, 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 planted there. Hmm. Uh, further, Newman uh, agreed that it was very strange that those bones were the only ones found since... Oh, I already read that. Sorry. Uh, the report concluded that the vertebrae had instead most likely come from the dirt that George had bulldozed over the site, which means that there's That a, means someone oh, was burying bodies in his dirt dirt business. Later, or later was George killing people? Was Maybe. George the killer of his children? And then he was trying to kill all of them, but it was only able to kill some of them, but then went with it. Yeah. College is expensive. But in the 40s really in Fayetteville, West Virginia, how expensive is it? Can, is there a way to find that out? Few th- I don't yeah, know. Probably, probably Can we have a fact check from Sawyer? A few hundred or a few thousand dollars. He's busy. Sawyer. Don't least. let that seat fall on him. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so, uh, Tinsley supposedly confirmed that the bone fragments had come from a cemetery in nearby Mount Hope, but could not explain why they had been taken from there or how they came to be at the fire site. The Smithsonian returned the bone fragments to George in September 1949, according to its records. Their current oh. location is unknown. The investigation and its findings attracted national attention, and the West Virginia legislator held two hearings on the case in 1950. Afterwards, however, Governor O.K. L. Patson... That's what a name. You know, why does every... So far, we have a few people, this family, with normal names. Then we get F.J. Morris, C.J. Finkley, and now we have... Uh, O.K. L. Patson. O.K. L. Governor O.K. L. Patson. Yeah. Governor. I mean, it's just, can they not have their full... I'm sorry. This is just an odd thing I'm noticing. I don't know. It's a trend. So, uh, Governor O.K. Patson and State Police Superintendent W.E. Burchett told the Sodders that the case was hopeless and closed it at the state level. The FBI decided it had jurisdiction as a possible interstate kidnapping, but dropped the case after two years of following fruitless leads. And we're on the home, stri- home stretch now. Who are you calling? Somebody called me. Who? They hung up. They hung up. Wow. Creepy. They must know that we're on our way to solving a mystery. Oh, God. Sorry, you want to say? Look at him walk. That's amazing. 
Yeah, he did shake his head no. All right, whatever. Uh, with the end of official efforts to resolve the case, the Sodders did not give up hope. They had flyers printed up with pictures of the children offering a $5,000 reward, uh, which was soon doubled, for information that would have settled the case for even one of them. In 1952, they put up a billboard at the site of the house and another along U.S. Route 60 near Anstead with the same information. It would, in time, become a landmark for traffic throughout Fayetteville on U.S. Route 19, which is now, as we all know today, State Route 16. What are you two smirking at over there? Oh, hello? Nothing. So the family's efforts soon brought another report citing of of the children after the fire. Ida Crutchfield, a woman who ran a Charleston hotel, claimed to have seen the children approximately a week afterwards. I do not remember the exact date. Did he poop himself? (laughs) (laughs) Should we pause? Real quick. Yeah, we can. All right, pause for poop break. Okay, we're back. We're back. Our quick uh, break. Yeah, we're back. We're ready to roll. Sawyer's clean. No, he didn't. No, I didn't. But Uh, but Sawyer's clean. Uh, I think that we have a fantastic mystery going. I hope you're all enjoying it. He pooped all over the floor. Everywhere. Poop on the walls. He's running yeah. around beating He's got our beads. He does like He's going to throw beads, I think. And that'll be funny. But I'm hoping it's not near the <laughs> drinks or the laptop. Uh, maybe he'll smack you with them. I saw her. Sev, do your job. Oh, where are our scissors? Douglas' room, maybe? Just uh, ask him if he wants a bite. You want a bite? Savannah, don't let him play with that knife. What are Savannah, you doing? Savannah, put him down. He don't worry. There are no knives around my child. Well, actually, some knives I'm a there. child care professional. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's a child care professional. So uh, Ida Crutchfield, a woman who ran a Charleston hotel, claimed to have seen the children approximately a week afterwards. I do not remember the exact date. Uh, the children had come in around midnight with two men and two women, all of whom appeared to be quote of Italian extraction. When she attempted to speak with the children, one of the men looked at me in a hostile manner. He turned around and began talking rapidly in Italian. Douglas, please uh, give an example. Uh, Thank you. Immediately, the whole party stopped talking to me. She recalled that they left the hotel early the next morning. Investigators today do not, however, consider her story credible, as she had only first seen photos of the children two years after the fire, five years before she came forward. Um, Five years before she came forward, sorry. Yeah, I don't think. For some reason, as soon as you said this lady said she saw him, I was kind of like, yeah, that's garbage. George followed up leads in person, traveling to the areas where tips had come. A woman from St. Louis claimed Martha was being held in a convent there. A bar patron in Texas claimed to have overheard two other people making incriminating statements about a fire that happened on Christmas Eve in West Virginia some years before. None of those proved significant. When George heard later that a relative of Jenny's in Florida had had children that looked similar to his, the relative had to prove that they were his own children before George was satisfied. In 1967, he went to the Houston area to investigate another tip. (laughs) Him falling? Yeah. Uh, A woman there had written to the family saying that Lewis had revealed his true identity to one, to her one night after having too much to drink. She believed that he and Maurice were both living in Texas somewhere. This is not a very funny topic, Sawyer. It's very sad. Uh, however, George and his son-in-law, Grover Paxton, weren't able to speak with her. Police there were able to help find them, uh, the two men she had indicated. 
but they denied. Okay. Sav, shut up. <laughs> wow. <laughs> wow. Uh, but they denied being the missing sons. Paxton said years later that doubts about the denial lingered in George's mind for the rest of his life. Uh, another letter that they received that year brought the Sodders what they believed was the most credible evidence that at least Lewis was still alive. One day, Jenny found in the mail a letter addressed to her postmark in Central City, Kentucky, with no return address. Inside was a picture of a young man around of around 30 with features strongly resembling Lewis's, who had been who would have been in his 30s if he had survived. On the back was written, Lewis Sodder, I love Brother Frankie, Ill Ill Boys, A90132 or 35. Here's the picture. That means Absolutely nothing to me. Yeah. I know. What's up In case you wanted to see as well, Seth. Uh, another letter. Oh, wait. Uh, the family hired... Why are you putting a popsicle on the table? The family hired another private detective to go to Central City and look into the missive, but he w- never reported back to the Sodders, and they were unable to locate him afterwards. The picture nonetheless gave them hope. They added it to the billboard leaving Central City out of it and, and, and any other published information out of fear that Lewis might come to harm and put an enlargement over it of it over their fireplace. George admitted to the Charleston Gazette Mail late the next year that the lack of information had been like hitting a rock wall. We can't go any further. Uh, he nevertheless vowed to continue, quote, time is running out for us. He admitted in another interview around that time, uh, but we only want to know. If they did die in the fire, we want to be convinced. Otherwise, we want to know what happened to them. George Sauter died in 1969. Jenny and her surviving children, except John, who never talked about the night of the fire, except to say that the family should accept it and get on with their lives, continued to seek answers to question their to seek answers to their questions about the missing children's fate. After George's death, Jenny stayed in the family home, putting up fencing around it and adding additional rooms. For the rest of her life, she wore black in mourning. What what just happened? <laughs> Smacked her in the face. The oh. <laughs> uh, she wore black in mourning and tended the garden at the site of the former house. And after her death in 1989, the family finally took down the weathered, worn billboard. The surviving Sauter children, joined by their own children, continue to publicize the case and investigate leads. They, along with older Fayetteville residents, have theorized that the Sicilian mafia was trying to extort money from George and the children may have been taken by someone who knew about the planned arson and said they would be safe if they left the house. They were possibly taken back to Italy. If the children had survived all those years and were aware that their parents and siblings had survived too, the family believes they may have avoided contact in order to keep them from harm. As of 2015, Sylvia Sauter Paxton, the youngest in the family, is the only surviving Sauter sibling who was in the house on the night of the fire, which she says is her earliest memory. She was two. Um, I, was the la- I was one of the last kids to leave the home, she recalled to the Gazette Mail in 2013. Uh, She and her father often stayed up late talking about what might have happened. I experienced their grief for a long time. Uh, She still believes that her siblings survived that night and quietly assists with efforts to find them and publicize the case. Her grandparents... um, Oh, her daughter said in 2006, she promised my grandparents she wouldn't let the story die, uh, that she would do everything she could. In the 21st century, these efforts have come to include online forums like websleuths.com in addition to media coverage. The increase in the latter has led some to, who have examined the case to believe that the children did in fact die in 1945. George Bragg, a local author who wrote about the case in his 2012 book, West Virginia's Unsolved Mysteries, or Murders, believes that John was telling the truth in his original account when he said he tried to physically awaken his siblings before fleeing the house. 
He allows that the conclusion may still not be correct. Logic tells you they probably did burn up in the fire, but you can't always go by logic. Uh, Stacy Horn, who did a segment on the case for National Public Radio around its 60th anniversary in 2005, also believes the children's death in the fire is the most plausible. In a contemporaneous post on her blog, with material she had cut from her story for time, she noted that the fire had continued to smolder all night after the house collapsed, and that two hours was not enough time to search the ash thoroughly. Even if it had been the firefighters, even if it had been, the firefighters may not have known what to look for. However, she said there's enough genuine weirdness about this whole thing that if someone that if someday it is learned that the children did not die in the fire, I won't be shocked. And that is the case of the Sodder children. Well, um, I think that the best two theories are either the whole mob ordeal because you know that's the cooler one, mm-hmm. and then the and it makes sense yeah, if he was anti Mussolini and a lot of Italians at the time that uh, that they probably died in the fire. Or I think I had a decent idea, like you know, if they somehow made it out and then went and died in the woods somewhere. I mean, they're not going to last long in that cold. But also, they probably did die in the fire. She's right. Those firefighters didn't know what to look for. They didn't. Yeah. You said that. You said earlier they didn't search it well. They just kind of skimmed it. Yeah. Douglas. So you're saying they could just be buried? Already? Well, they did do like an extensive search afterwards. Yeah. So if, unless the fire got super super hot, which it didn't. Yeah. But it's. I feel like the bigger it question. It had, to, it had to burn at over two thousand degrees for. Hours for the like, for the bones is yeah, for literally there to be not a trace of any body. But it, that was that, I think that's impossible. Right? Yeah, well, but there's also like um, definitely some foul play. So for our initial thought: Do you think the fire happened the way it did? Uh, electrical? No, I think. And that's why you're bringing it all out in the living room. All right. All right, the, fine. The well, whole, he's back. The whole fireballs thing and how they heard something hit the roof and roll off. Warlocks. 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 Do you think it happened by the electrical like sort, short or you think someone caused it? Somebody definitely caused it. I think it. yeah. I think I think I think the mob theory is Arson. also probably pretty possible. So um, Okay. So I think we're all in agreement that it was yeah. started another way. And then the second and half, what is your Definite like prediction about what happened to the children. That. What is that? Um, I feel like somebody were they kidnapped? Were they killed in the fire and they just weren't found? Were they killed somewhere else but taken out? I think the whole mob explanation, how they were taken out before the fire was started. Like, but okay, so it was just the kids upstairs. They took they took the kids five of them. Yeah, they took the kids from upstairs out, and. Something the dad definitely knew something. He knew something was going. Think on. so? I think so. And I think they might have been tra- taken back to Italy, uh, for sure. That's that. I think that's my solid uh, hypothesis. True. You know, I don't think we can give a definite answer. Well, on, we can't give a definite answer on any young um, episode. That's true, but you know, I, I I'm really I'm not doll, sure yeah. because do you know how hard it is, or how hard it would be, to sneak out five kids unless they already knew you and were willing to go, and then say, "Well, hey, wait, my family's still here." Unless, of course, like I can also see if I was a mob member and I'm really trying to inflict some harm, I'm gonna hold some kids at gunpoint. That's gonna happen. Um, 
So, you know, maybe one of these kids was like, oh, crap, I'm looking down the barrel of a gun. I probably shouldn't say anything. Mm-hmm. Maybe I maybe I should let myself get abducted. Um, that's probably what I would do yeah. uh, on both ends. Um, but, you know, how old, how old were the ones that died again? Oh, gosh. Uh, they varied in age. Um, yeah, yeah. What was the range? Let me double check. Hold on. Pull yeah. it back up. Yeah, that's what I, yeah, I think it was younger. Um, okay, so Mary and Sylvia, John and George Jr. survived. Um, so 14, 9, 12, 8, and 5. Yeah, so okay. So from 5 so to 14. Yeah, so there's there's also the possibility that, yeah, they just died in the fire. Um, because when, you know... I don't know. I don't know. I think the abduction is pretty pretty logical. Uh, I think I'm going to go with the abduction over my original assumptions of the fire. I think they were abducted as well. Yeah. Because, like, remember that guy even claimed that, like, your children would be destroyed. Yeah, he claimed that. For then, his you know, anti-Mussolini also, remarks. They also heard the, like you said, the bump on the roof and everything. That yeah. could... And the could ladder possibly, was missing. Yeah, well, see, that's what I'm saying. That could possibly not have been a bump on the roof. They could have been on the side of the house towards the roof. Um, and that would have been a ladder hitting a window to get them out. Yeah. Um, what is he eating? Oh. Nice. Uh, Sawyer, what are your thoughts? What do you think, Bubba? <laughs> Hiccup. <laughs> and that translates to? Drew, you're the expert. What does that translate to? Um, you don't want to know All right, what cool. he said. It was pretty brutal and dark. Um, That's unfortunate. I can... I can do, no, do you want I don't. It? Okay. We're, we'll let him deal with his It demons. involved children in a firing squad. It was very dark. Come on, Sawyer. Sav, what are your thoughts? Why would he throw up? Oh, he's just, he's hiccuped on Sav, me. What, what are your thoughts? How'd the children, what happened to the children? What happened to the children? They all lived happily ever after. Well, okay, five of them in are heaven missing. Because they're for sure dead. They went to a farm. They went to a farm. In heaven. A special farm. All right. Uh, Douglas, anything else? Or Drew, anything else either of y'all want to say? Um, what are you doing? We're in the middle of something. Final remarks and thoughts. Yes. It was the lizard people. Hmm, that's a good point. The reptilian elite have bestowed upon us... I don't know where I was going with that. <laughs> a fine feast. A fine feast. That's how they, that's how they get their immortality. Now you choose to talk loud and right in the mic. Well, now that, now that I'm holding the mic, yeah. i got the power. Well, Drew, I want to thank you and your spawn for joining us. Thanks for having yeah. me. I would like to participate Could you, in a... In a Oh, well, thanks for having me. Um, I would like to participate participate in a full-length episode one day. Um, Was this not full-length enough for you? No, you read a Wikipedia article. Um, <laughs> First off, I didn't. <laughs> it was another article. Yeah, I was about to say, it just wasn't from Wikipedia. That's what you're supposed to... Like, um, what else am I supposed to read? Um, um, we should have a next episode where we all just dis- have a discussion. You know what I mean? That's perfectly fine. We can do that. Yeah, I'm sorry. I, I had to. I had to poke some fun. I had to poke some fun. It's um, always some fun. Final remarks. You should hold the mic for this one because it's going to be mainly you talking. So oh. Give him the mic. Have you ever experienced or Sawyer? Because you know ba- they say babies have a fifth sense or something. Have Small you, children. Yeah. Yeah. 
Have you ever experienced anything that was paranormal or yeah, something like that? Would you mind sharing that story before we wrap up? Yeah. Um, so when I was a kid, uh, I would like to play my Nintendo DS in bed at night, as most children would. And it was late one night. I was playing Pokemon. I remember this. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> all right. I was on the... Um, Sav, chill out for like five minutes. I was on the top bunk, and uh, this happened twice um, over the span of about a year. The first one that I saw was I'd, I heard like a clanging noise, um, and I looked over, and I saw like... I mean, still, I believe I believe I saw it, um, but I was like 12. I don't know. Could have been could have been seeing things, but also I don't know why a 12-year-old would have heard or saw what I saw, but it looked like a chain gang of slaves uh, walking through the middle of my room and um one of them looked at me and it was just a it was a kid and it was a just i mean the most lacking of hope look you could ever see and uh that one's always stuck with me and then the second time it happened i heard kind of like a a cooing noise and i look over and there's a a like a little orb at the back corner of my room and it was bright white and it floated, it kind of floated to the middle of the room, and it transformed to this woman in a wedding dress. And she was beautiful, like this gorgeous woman. And my bunk bed, since I, I'd made a point I was on the top bunk, uh, it had a little railing on it so I wouldn't roll off in my sleep. And I went and I was like leaning over the railing just looking at this lady. And she came closer to me and closer to me, and she got almost face-to-face and out of nowhere just let out this just blood-curdling, horrific scream, and her face just deformed and mutated and started to shrink away off of her bones and her structure, and, like, she kept screaming until it all went away. And I, like, flung myself back and was hollering and screaming and yelling and woke up everybody in the house, and my mom said that there was nothing there when she came in the room, and it was... uh, I just had a bad dream, apparently, but I doubt that, considering I had been playing Pokemon just minutes beforehand. Um... And yeah, those are my two biggest paranormal experiences. That's pretty big. Those are those might be the two biggest ones we've heard of uh, on Uncovered episode. I, like I said, I was young. Maybe I was having a couple nightmares, but I feel like those are odd nightmares for a twelve-year-old. I don't know where I would have gotten that kind of stuff to come from into my head, but I still think to this day that I saw it. Um, crazy stuff. That's true. Well, no, there was a thing at Dawson's house. Oh, I've I've had another good paranormal experience. Tell us. Uh, we were at my best friend's house, um, Mike, and his mom is into some, or at least used to be, I don't know about anymore, she's into some weird voodoo stuff. Like, I mean, she had voodoo dolls and, I mean, the whole nine yards, weird stuff, man. And uh, she, she just, she had a Ouija board, all kind of weird things. And one night we were spending the night over there, and we all fell asleep in the living room because Mike's room was too small for us to all be asleep in the same room. We'd all been hanging out, and so we just kind of passed out in there. And the living room is right next to the front door. About 2.30, 3 o'clock in the morning, we all wake up around the same time. I'm sleeping in the chair. Uh, I believe Dawson was there with us. He was on the couch, and Mike was sleeping beside me on the ottoman in the floor. And we all wake up at, like, the same time, at like, in between 2.30 and 3 o'clock in the morning. It was morning. probably 3 o'clock, the devil's hour. And uh, probably so. Um, and uh, we hear just this weird noise. And in, in that house, 
if you at night especially, but even during the daytime, if you're in a room and like you would get these weird feelings, and if you look towards the darkest corner of the room, you would always like I swear, maybe we were playing tricks on ourselves, but you could always just feel a presence. It's always from the darkest corner. And we started getting that, and I mean, the darkest corner of the room looked black, like pitch black. And out of nowhere, the curtain rod across the room from us flies off the wall into the middle of the room, and our friend lived down the street, and we all hollered and screamed. We booked it out the front door, left it wide open, booked it down to his house. We knew where the spare key was. We break into his house at like 3 o'clock in the morning, we were hollering and screaming, and we stayed there the rest of the night, and then we got calls from Mike's mom the next day like, hey, why did you guys uh, leave my front door open in the middle of the night? And we were like, because your house is haunted, and we're never staying there again. Um, yeah, I don't know how I forgot that one, because that one was genuinely terrifying. Like, the other two, I was young enough to, like, play it off. I was, like, 14 or 15 when this one happened, and, I mean, that was that was terrifying. And all three of us will tell you the exact same story. It is. It was intense. It was intense. Nice, Douglas. Do you have anything that you maybe never shared? I've shared my ghost stories on here, but I will tell them again. No, I'm kidding. Um, that's crazy. It's yeah. crazy. <laughs> Let's see if residential baby washer. Sav, do you have any ghost stories? Remember my chicken little story? Is that a ghost story? Her chicken little. What story? does that mean? That's the scariest story. One time I was in bed and I was little. I don't remember how old. I saw the silhouette of Chicken Little, like really big (laughs) in my window. Probably just had watched Chicken Little. And then I saw an army appear behind him. And then I felt little bullets on my body. (laughs) I apologize for that. (laughs) Jesus. Okay, go back. Then one time I thought I, I like saw a man silhouette in my window and I screamed for my dad. I kept screaming for him, and then my dad like came running from his room, and it freaked me out. Yeah, I, that, I remember that one. Okay, thank you. Go back to this baby. Sawyer, do you have any ghost stories? Wow. <laughs> no, we don't want him to say that. We want him to tell us his ghost story. Oh, I, oh my God. Wow. Wow. Do it. <laughs> yeah. All right, well. Sawyer, thank you for joining. Yeah, you too, Sav. Drew, thank you for joining on today's episode. Thank you for having me. Douglas, thank you. Thank you. Where can they find us on Instagram? They can find us on Instagram at nightswims.podcast. I'm not even going to tell you all to DM us. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. Drew, is there any final things you want to say before I end it? You can DM me uh, since they obviously don't want to hear from you. Yeah, you can you can uh, shout out your twiddle, tw- your Instagram handle, your twiddle. Yeah, <laughs> um, Drew Barnett seven six seven. Yeah, shoot me a DM. I'll, I'll talk all day. I love to talk. Shove a nickel in his ass. Don't He's yours for five minutes. Thank you for listening. Um, we will see y'all next time. Douglas is doing the topic, I believe. Yep. It'll be a good one. It will be. Hopefully. It will be. We'll see. And uh, enjoy your day. Be careful. Would you shut up? (laughs) 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 I'm just kidding. Any final things you want to say, Sav? Sawyer? I'm just going to shut up. Good call. All right. 
Thank you all for listening, and we will see you next time. Bye-bye.